Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lu on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I have no medical background, but I'm a 39-year-old woman who has frozen her eggs. I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Lou, a CREI certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. We started this podcast with the aim to provide easy to understand information on hard concepts relating to fertility, infertility and all aspects of women's health. We love reading our listener reviews and work hard to take feedback on board. If you enjoy listening to Knocked Up and find our resource useful, please take a moment to leave a review as this really helps others to find us. Today we're talking about viruses and infectious diseases, not just corona. I think in light of the panic that we're seeing with coronaviruses, we're lucky that it doesn't seem to really affect pregnant women. But there are many communicable diseases that do, one of which has hit a bit close to home this week. Tell us about that, Shorty. My nephew has hand, foot and mouth. So he is 13 months old, gorgeous, but covered in little like blisters, little blisters, and he has red cheeks and he's very grumpy. He also can't go to daycare until he gets cleared from the doctor, hopefully on Monday. He's quarantined. Now, I've been doing some work with Raylia at Women's Health Melbourne, and because I've been seeing him, I haven't been coming in, just as a precaution. Just as a precaution. So, look, yeah, hand, foot and mouth disease is a very common viral infection, and it's breaking out in daycares all over Melbourne at the moment. It's easily passed person to person, and it is caused by an enterovirus. Which um, is? It's a virus that comes through the gut. So it's what we call faecal oral pathway, meaning that you can pass it on by touching food or other kind of what we call a fomite, meaning like a door handle or just an inanimate object that you touch if you haven't washed your hands really well after going to the toilet and you can pass it on to other people who then touch the same thing or eat food that you've been preparing. So, Especially an issue with a child drooling everywhere. Yeah, and look, changing nappies and things like that. So one thing that's really protective against person-to-person spread is really careful hygiene measures and hand-washing measures. So... While hand, foot and mouth is not usually a serious illness, as you've seen uh, with your little nephew, he has blisters and these can affect the cheeks, the sides of the tongue, the mouth, the gums, and it's called hand, foot and mouth because it can affect the feet uh, and the soles of the feet and the palms of the hands. 
the incubation period, which is like the period where you can spread virus but you might not have any symptoms, is three to five days. And you can find hand, foot and mouth enterovirus in the feces or the stool for several weeks. So you can shed for quite a long time. Many adults, including pregnant women, can have the virus without having any symptoms at all. And there's actually no clear risk to the unborn baby if a mother contracts this illness. So if you're pregnant and you've got a toddler and your toddler has a hand, foot and mouth, don't be freaked out or panicked about passing the disease to your unborn child and causing birth defects. That doesn't happen. What can happen with hand, foot and mouth is if a newborn baby catches it, they can get a severe infection. So that is what is behind the warnings about pregnant women and um, women with new babies in the family. The next disease that we're going to talk about is parvovirus. I've never, I've never heard of this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it is? Yeah, so parvovirus, sometimes people uh, hear of it as slapped cheek disease yes. or fifth disease, like the number 5TH, fifth disease, because they're the more old-fashioned words for the parvovirus, yes. B19. Uh, it is a respiratory virus and it spreads through droplet spread, just like the flu or the common cold, so by sneezing or breathing on somebody. In terms of adults with parvovirus, they generally don't have any symptoms. Uh, children get that characteristic slap cheek look with red cheeks, um, like their cheek has been given a slap. Not that anyone should be slapping children on the cheek. A little bit of an old-fashioned, <laughs> an old-fashioned disciplinary um, etiology. Yeah. Um, so some adults do get joint pain, which can be a bit non-specific in the wrists and the knees with parvovirus. The big thing about parvovirus is that if a pregnant woman is infected with the virus, it can be transmitted across the placenta to the fetus. And this can cause, in the acute phase, severe anemia in the fetus. Mm. And it's a possible cause of miscarriage or pregnancy loss that's unexplained, uh, especially in, if it's contracted in the first half of the pregnancy. Okay, but... Regarding birth defects, is there any? There's no evidence of birth defects. So the real risk for parvovirus is either miscarriage or stillbirth, which is obviously devastating, uh, but it does not cause birth defects. Um, the next one we're going to talk about is CMV. So CMV stands for cytomegalovirus, and cytomegalovirus is a virus that is a friend for life once you catch it. So it stays in your body forever. And most people don't know they have it or they might have symptoms like a common cold with an acute infection. This is one where pregnant women or those with a weaker immune system, like somebody who has a kidney transplant or has HIV, uh, is susceptible to severe disease. Or like a transplant yeah, receiver. Yeah, exactly. If your immune system is suppressed either naturally or with drugs, uh, like in the case of receiving an organ transplant. Uh, so they can get a severe infection and they can get infection like, for example, uh, on the lung, like a CMV pneumonia, or they can get encephalitis, which is inflammation around the brain. So they can, they can get severe infections. The problem with 
CMV is it can cause congenital infections, meaning that a child can contract CMV while in the womb. And babies born with congenital CMV can have really serious problems. So there's kind of two groups. There's the babies who are born with obvious symptoms and the babies who are born looking okay and you realise a little bit later that they have had congenital CMV. So with the babies that look okay at birth, it's a milder version and they can have things like congenital hearing loss. For babies that are sick when they're born, uh, they can have more severe disease and, and these are symptoms that might include low birth weight, premature birth, it can be a cause of premature birth, jaundice, which is when the skin is yellow at birth uh, and that's to do with the liver problems that are underlying that, abnormal uh, findings like of the head size, so that can be known as microcephaly, so they can have an abnormally small head and brain and that can often go together with neurological problems. They can have an enlarged spleen. They can have congenital pneumonia, so they can born with CMV on the lung and often do suffer seizures. So children in that category can have severe disability later in life because of the fact that they've had CMV infection in the womb. And again, it can be a cause of miscarriage. Something that we've heard more about is perhaps rubella or German, me- German measles. This, most of us would have been vaccinated against this. Yeah, so out of all of the things we've talked about so far, there isn't a vaccine, mm-hmm. but rubella is one that there is. So things like rubella, and I think we're going to talk also about varicella, which is chickenpox a bit yes. later, these are preventable through vaccination for most people. It's really important to know about the concept of what's called herd immunity. There's a lot of talk about that at the moment. Yeah, so what herd immunity means, kind of think of us like a herd of cattle. That's kind of where the, where the term herd comes from. So it protects the herd, our community, if there are a lot of people who are vaccinated because it means that there are fewer people who are susceptible to a condition and therefore there are fewer people with the condition at a given point in time. And if there's less of a virus going round, then it means you're less likely to encounter it if you're someone who doesn't have immunity and you're less likely to catch it and therefore you're less likely to have problems because of it. So there's always going to be people in our community who cannot get immunity to something like rubella. There's some people around who've been vaccinated several times and still can't mount an immune response against rubella. And then there are people in the community who can't be vaccinated because they have a compromised immune system in the first place. And, for example, newborn babies aren't vaccinated at birth, they're vaccinated a little bit later. And old people in the community might have had the vaccine and it might have worn off. So there's people in the community who are susceptible. So rubella in itself causes a pretty mild illness of fever and rash, but it can cause birth defects in unborn children if a mother contracts rubella during her pregnancy. Before vaccination existed, people used to have awareness of this and they used to have rubella parties. Like chickenpox parties. Yeah. So if a woman 
you know, who hadn't yet been of childbearing age, like a teenager used to contract rubella, they'd invite all of their other friends around to hang around them and hopefully catch rubella. <laughs> because once you've had it... You don't get it again. Your immune system learns how to deal with it and you can't get it again while you're pregnant. So that's how people used to do it in our grandmother's generation. Now we can have a vaccine. And we have a booster of that vaccine. Obviously, we have the initial course as a child, but we have a booster of that vaccine usually in the later years of high school. So women are generally quite protected against rubella if they've been vaccinated, but, you know, most people are able to get that protection. Some people, no matter how many times they're vaccinated, won't get that protection. That's where the herd immunity concept protects us all. So why is rubella particularly bad? So 90%, which is a huge majority, of women who catch rubella for the first time while pregnant will have a baby with a birth defect. That's horrific yeah. statistic. And that's if they, if they catch it in the first trimester. So things that we're talking about here, it's together known as congenital rubella syndrome. And it can you be... you used the word congenital a bit. What does that congenital mean Congenital exactly? means born with. Okay. If you're born with something, it's congenital. Okay. So congenital rubella syndrome is a syndrome of rubella in the newborn. Okay. And it infers that it was caught by what we call vertical transmission, which is transmission from the mum during pregnancy. So congenital rubella syndrome can present with deafness. You can get congenital cataracts, so being born with a cataract in your eyes so you can't see, and other visual problems having inflammation of the brain or encephalitis, having a heart defect, liver disease, bone disease, growth retardation, all of these can be aspects of congenital rubella syndrome. And there can be a spectrum, so some people might have a milder form and some people might have a really severe form. In Australia, uh, you know, it's really important to be educated and we've had a lot of problems with anti-vaxxer movements, which we've talked about on previous episodes, to the point that the World Health Organization has labelled vaccine scepticism as one of the greatest problems presenting to us in the modern era around the world in terms of global health. So, you know, rubella is a really serious thing. We don't want to see it again. We don't want a comeback from rubella. No. Um, if a pregnant woman thinks that they may have been in contact with rubella, they should definitely seek advice. And if you aren't sure if you've been vaccinated, how can you check? Well, look, you can do a blood test and we can check for current immunity. And actually every woman who presents their GP planning a pregnancy would generally be checked for their rubella status. So give your GP the opportunity to do that. If you're thinking about having a baby and are not yet trying, go along and let your GP know that you are. They'll be able to offer you a lot of helpful information and check some really important things like your rubella status, like your chickenpox or varicella status, because you can have a booster at that point. Both of these are live vaccines, meaning we don't generally give them to you if you're already pregnant. So it's an opportunity to just before you do get pregnant, make sure that, you know, those things are, are just easy little public health measures that we can take to protect you. And I certainly as a fertility specialist have a little checklist 
uh, for my first visit of patients and those things are on it. So even if it's like a safety net, so if you've got to that point, you're trying, but you're struggling, it's another opportunity for me to say, hey, well, let's do the best things that we can to not only help you get pregnant, but make sure your pregnancy is healthy and successful. And I also talk about preconception genetic screening, which we have an episode in our back catalogue on with Zoe Milgram from Eugene. So check that episode out. That's another thing I talk about and that your GP might talk to you about as well. Chickenpox, or as you called it, varicella. Yeah, so varicella zoster is the virus that causes chickenpox and it's also the virus that causes shingles. Mm -hmm. So if you've had chickenpox, it does again stay in the body for your whole life and it can reactivate as shingles. But in the childhood form is quite a mild disease and you may get a typical little blisters all over the body pretty much that can then kind of turn into pox, mm-hmm. which then scar up and... Uh, and itchy. Itchy, yeah. And you have pintosol baths. Yeah. And but put, at least you did in the 80s if Yeah, you got and it. put socks on the kids' hands so they don't scratch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so newborn babies that get chicken pox can die from it. It's a really serious form in the newborn. And during pregnancy, when a woman gets chickenpox for the first time, it can cause really severe disease in the woman and it can pass to the unborn child. So babies that are born with severe chickenpox can have damage to their skin. They can have limb defects, so damage their arms and legs, eye problems and nervous system defects. So it can be really, really serious. Now, the vaccine in this case can be kind of what we call attenuating, meaning that children who have been vaccinated can sometimes still get chickenpox, but they get a pretty mild form compared to if they had never had the vaccine. And the vaccine almost always protects against the severe forms of chickenpox. Not everyone can be protected by the vaccine, just like rubella. But in the case of chickenpox, if you're not protected... Let's just say you're someone who is pregnant, you know you can't, you've had your vaccine, it hasn't worked, you haven't got immunity. Your doctor will tell you about this substance called Zig or Zoster immunoglobulin. So Zoster immunoglobulin is a molecule that you can have as an injection that's kind of like fake it till you make it. It protects you against catching chickenpox if you've had an exposure. So it kind of alerts the immune system and helps you avoid getting an active infection. It only works if you receive it within 72 hours of the exposure. So if you have another child at daycare and there's a breakout or if you have a friend who has a child with chickenpox uh, or an older relative who has shingles and you're worried that you're going to get exposed or you may have been exposed, don't just sit there at home worrying about it without telling anybody. You've got to go straight to an emergency department. In Melbourne, I would say just go to the women's hospital. It's as good as any place to go and ask for Zoster immunoglobulin uh, because, or just tell them you're not chickenpox immune and you've been told to come for a treatment. Don't worry the words. (laughs) They'll know. So um, there's a very short window where that can help. So definitely be aware of it if you're not immune. And the last one is, I feel like it's fairly recent, and that's Zika. 
Yeah, so Zika virus is one that, again, is quite recent. We only learnt about it a few years ago. The Zika virus causes quite a mild viral illness in adults, but it was found in Brazil to be passed from mother to child, that vertical transmission that we talked about. And Zika can cause severe birth defects and especially what we call microcephaly or small head, small brain. And it's pretty obvious at birth, uh, but milder forms can can appear later with things like seizures and irritability without having the whole spectrum of microcephaly. Zika can cause congenital hearing loss and visual problems and can also cause neurological problems like swallowing problems in the baby. Zika is unlike the other illnesses we've talked about in that there's kind of a third party involved in the transmission, which is a mosquito. So it's carried through the bites of infected mosquitoes and it can also be spread human to human as an STI or sexually transmitted infection. So that's really important with Zika because there is no treatment and there's no vaccine. And if you're pregnant and your partner has travelled to a Zika-affected country, then you should really be using condoms uh, because men can spread Zika in the semen for up to six months. Likewise, if your partner is planning travel to a Zika-affected region and you're undergoing fertility treatment, it might be worth freezing some sperm before he goes and using that sperm in preference to fresh sperm on his return. Also, if women do have a Zika concern, avoid travel to regions affected by the Zika virus or regions where the mosquito that carries Zika are. And um, there are some Australian health government travel warnings about this that we can put in our show notes. Great. Thank you so much, Raylia. With so much going around at the moment, it's good to know what we need to be aware of when trying to conceive or be pregnant. Yeah, I guess one more thing that I forgot to say about cytomegalovirus, which we can go back to, CMV, is it is one of the tests that we do for donor sperm. So if you're trying to conceive using donor sperm, there are recorded cases around the world where you can actually catch CMV while pregnant from the donor sperm that you use. And that's important because if you have no immunity to CMV and you're choosing a donor, you may wish to just choose a donor who hasn't got CMV because that risk would then be avoided. It's also worth noting that when you listen to this episode, it will be flu vaccine time and that's very important for pregnant women. Yeah, and we haven't talked about coronavirus in this episode, but we have done a special episode on coronavirus, which we can direct you to. And also the reason we particularly haven't spoken about coronavirus is at the time of recording, we don't think that coronavirus can necessarily be worse for pregnant women than anyone else. And that is based on the current recommendations from the worldwide experience. Thank you for listening to Knocked Up. For more information about precautions to take during pregnancy, fertility and women's health, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. You can also check out our back catalogue and subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Many of our episodes focus on answering your questions, so if you have one, please be in touch via email at podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com. 
follow us on the socials at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr. Raylia Lou. And please leave us a review. We love to hear from you and it really helps others to find us. Thank you.